Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and we got a tremendous show lined up today. We're going to talk about the payroll employment uh, number that came out on Friday, and then also to uh, got to add to that the Jolts report. Also, too, we got to talk about Facebook Meta that's falling dramatically. Gosh, I think it's down like. I would say like 80% from the high. And then uh, Microsoft workers, there's a big disconnect between actually all workers, between what the supervisors and employers think and what the employees think. Chase? Another screw up here to start the show, but uh, I'm Chase Wilsey, and uh, yeah, here to take your calls as always. Phone number, you want to join the show, 833 288 Again, that's 833 288 0973 and that's to take any calls you have regarding you know financial questions in particular a lot of times people like to call in about particular stocks companies we'll break down the fundamentals of those and give you our opinion on if it's a buy sell or maybe it's a hold as well so you want to join the show one more time 833-288-0973 and chase we got a workshop coming up on thursday november 17th at six o'clock in scripps ranch and this will be the last one for the year we've been so busy throughout the year we don't get to do a lot of these so they are uh, if you miss this one, it could be in February or March before you get to go again. But uh, if you're unhappy with the returns on your portfolio, you're not sure what to do, I know these are very confusing times. Uh, we show you at the workshop what we're doing, why you want to be investing now. There's some good things going on going forward that you're going to miss if you don't start investing. But you got to invest in the right companies, the right investments. If you don't, you'll be saying six, 12 months from now, like, oh, I thought they said it was going to be a good investment. Well, it will be. If you invest properly, that's what we show at the workshop. It is free. Again, it's going to be Thursday, November 17th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That, again, is smartinvesting2000.com. Well, let's talk about the employment numbers because payroll employment did come out on Friday. <clears throat> and it was another good report from the labor market as payroll enrollment employment climbed by 261,000 in the month of October. Now this did top the estimate of 205,000, but it was the slowest pace of gains we have since September, I'm sorry, December of 2020. Although this may sound concerning, after recouping the losses that were generated from COVID, we have anticipated a labor market too slow. There's a big difference between slowing and declining. And for a good reference point, if you go back to 1939, the average monthly gain in payrolls is around 122,700 new jobs that have been created each month. The job growth in this particular report was broad-based as every category saw gains in the month. Healthcare and social assistance led the way with a gain of 71,000 jobs. That was followed by professional and business services at a gain of 39,000. Leisure and hospitality, a gain of 35,000. I was happy to see this. Manufacturing was up another 32,000 jobs as well. Now, the major problem with the report is that it does not provide much evidence for the Fed to let off the brakes, especially considering the wage inflation of 4.7% compared to last year. I, I will say it wasn't like a blockbuster blowout report right. that's like, oh my gosh, we need to keep on this 0.75% basis point hike 
every single time we meet. I don't think that's going to happen going forward. But I, unfortunately, it wasn't enough for the Fed to say, you know, we're we're going to stop hiking rates. Looks like the labor market's slowing down a little bit. And I do like the manufacturing number up 32,000 because what we need to do, I, I said there's two ways to reduce inflation, stop the spending or the demand or increase the supply. Nice to see that we're still manufacturing here in the U.S., to hopefully create more products so that prices will come down. And uh, and what I think is gonna happen is that going forward that the Fed, I don't think they're gonna add more to what they're doing. I think what they said, what a half point cut in December. I think right now we're on track for that. But uh, also- Well, a half to, point increase, yeah. what I say half point? Half point cut. Oh gosh, wouldn't that be yeah. nice? Increase, watch, cut that thing. And um, I did wanna say too, real, real quick, I, I just, it's, I don't wanna say it's frustrating, but you know, people are so negative. And it's like, oh, this jobs report, uh, that's it? 261,000? Because people have such a short-term memory. Right. With If you look back over the last year, two years, yeah, I mean, we were growing at an exponential rate that just wasn't sustainable. I think there was one that was like 600,000 yeah, one time. It was, it was yeah. crazy. But, I mean, you go back to Trump. You go right. back to Obama. And I'm going to pick on both of them because, you know, people right. hate Trump, love Trump, hate Obama, love Obama. They had several job reports that were below 200,000 yeah. job gains. So, you know, don't look at this report and think it's a bad report. Again, it's not a great report, but it's a good report. The labor market is still strong. And I think the important number you brought out was uh, going back to 1939, the average is, uh, what, 122,000 a, a month. So having 261,000, we're way above that. And uh, again, we, we're over the recoupment of jobs. We, yeah. we surpassed that. So this is positive. Uh, the other thing too that we look at that adds to that, because this is very important, it's called the JOLTS report. And that stands for Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey. Even with the increase in interest rates, businesses have continued to remain active in the labor market. In the recent September JOLTS report, there were 10.7 million job openings. This was an increase of 437,000 openings when compared to August. And they easily beat the estimate of 9.85 million openings. And, and at this level, there are still 1.9 job openings per available worker. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If the labor market remains this strong, I, I just don't see a major recession on the horizon. And, and one interesting term that, that's starting to, to come about now, it's funny, you know, I saw the idea of quiet quitting. We talked about that on the Dr. Phil show, this thing called FIRE, which was financial independence, retire early. There's all <laughs> these different things. The new one that I heard was labor hoarding. Yes. And the idea that employers are keeping their, they're not necessarily maybe adding as many new employees during this difficult time, but they also don't want to get rid of their employees because they say, well, we have enough capital here. We have enough cash flow. We still have earnings. Why would we get rid of our employees for when things turn back around, especially if they're good employees? I mean, we know sometimes finding employees is very, and good employees is very, very difficult. And, and also too, we talk about their companies have strong balance sheets, so therefore they can afford to do that to keep those employees, which also tells you that they feel that things will turn around and they will need those employees in the future. And people say, oh yeah, but you know, they're, they're doing layoffs, they're doing layoffs. Yeah, they're doing like 2,000 layoffs. It's a big company. They have 100,000 employees, so they're laying off 2,000 people. What you're not seeing is that the midsize and the small businesses that still need people and want people, so that's why we watch not just the employment report, but also the JOLTS report. And again, I was surprised it was up as well. I thought it was gonna pull down about 9 million, back up to what I say, 10.7 million. And it's so funny what makes the news as well is because you know you look at, like I saw Stripes announcing a 14% 
layoff, and obviously Twitter's going through a, a, we'll call it an adjustment with Elon <laughs> Musk, and he's laying off a lot of people. But th- that makes the news. You don't hear, you know, company, oh, they're hiring 2,000 people. Uh, that's not really that exciting. But if they're firing 10% right. of labor force, oh, my gosh, that's a lot. Well, that's about 2,000 people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how it goes both ways, but what makes the headline is the layoffs, not the addition of jobs. And, and you know, and the, the media does report, oh, the employment number and all this and so forth. I, except for Fox Business, I don't know, maybe probably CNBC does, nobody else reports the jolts report it doesn't make the big news and it is big news because it's a big that's why we report it because it's a big part of the overall job market it's like you can't just know what the employment numbers are you got to know well what's outstanding there it's a very yeah. important number when i was listening as well to um some commentary around the fed and the, the labor market situation employment situation and when an analyst was like, yeah, it just doesn't matter because that's in the past what's going to happen going forward. And that's where the jolts is really helpful yeah. because if we have this many job openings, I just don't foresee any way the job openings are going to go from, you know, 11 million, close to 11 million to 2 million in the matter of a couple months. I, yeah. I don't see that happening. And then with that, you're not going to see the employment situation or the payroll data change that drastically. If there's that many openings, there, those people are going to be able to find jobs, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. and, and there's a, a lot of good things out there, and, and people generally will, will gravitate toward the negative side, and that's why generally they're terrible investors because they're looking in the past. I, I think 2023 is going to be a decent year. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to make 20%, 30%. But if you earn, we'll say, 5 to 10% in 2023, eh, you know, that's not bad. Yeah, and and the big thing that I talk about, too, is uh, I want to look at the NASDAQ because I, I was looking at this this past week because, oh, you know, I, I hear I can make 15% a year. And, yeah, the NASDAQ did really, really well for the last decade. But you have to be very careful because one thing people forget, and we've talked about it on this show before, but from the peak in 2000, the NASDAQ, it took about 15 years yeah. <clears throat> to get back to that point. So let's say you did really well in the NASDAQ from 2010, all right, we'll go 2011 through 2021. I think that 2022 through 2032, the NASDAQ's returns, I think, are not going to be good at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes with that time frame, and that's another reason why investors usually do appeal to bad investors because they chase the past performance. Oh, well, it's done well there. Uh, we're doing the same thing with real estate. Real estate's not going to be going up 20 30% any longer. That, yeah. that, those days are past. Same thing with the NASDAQ. So you, you can't look at what the, and this is why we're value investors. We don't look at what something has done performance-wise. We look at what the value of something is today and what it could be in the future, not what it's done in the past. And I, I bring it up just because, you know, you said I think 2023 could be a good year. I don't think it's going to be a good year for everything. No, I think it's going to oh, be a good not. year for the right things. Right. And, and the funny thing is when we talk to people, we look at saying, you know, we'll average 8 10% on average per year. It's kind of the long-term average of what we think we can do. Yeah. And some people, well, that's not very good. It's the average. I mean, that's what we look at. There's going to be some years that are great and other years that aren't. Yeah. But you've got to be very realistic with yourself. If you're here and you can make, let's say, 15 20% a year, you got to look at a second there and be, how? Right. Long term, that's just not going to happen. Right. And, and actually, as value investors, and again, we cannot give out the performance numbers on air because of the SEC rules. Yep. But as value investors go, we did very, very well compared to uh, the growth investors. 
Uh, but we didn't have any growth in the portfolio. We were buying value companies. So um, we didn't do 100%, but unless you had, what, all of Apple or yeah. Tesla, or, you know. Uh, so, so again, you, you've got to look at your portfolio and look at the longer term and not look in the rearview mirror saying, well, this is what happened. We are always looking forward saying what companies are on sale that we can invest in that will do well over the next three to five years. With that, let's move on to something that is a growth stock that, oh my gosh, has just been hammered. Talking about Facebook, uh, now called Meta. Stock price has fallen through the floor from the 52-week high of $353 per share as it now sits, well, actually now I think it's below 90. Uh, I'm sure some people are now thinking, wow, this is a steal. Before you jump, you need to think about a couple of things. The most recent earnings release was a second revenue decline in a row as the company is fighting a tough macroeconomic climate. Yeah, and I just looked it up. It's at like $90.30. I think it fell to like 88 Yeah, it yeah. did fall below 90 but now it's, it's slightly above 90 We'll see what that goes on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the big thing, too, that we look at is this is uh, – know a, a difficult macroeconomic climate and it's coming from competition from TikTok and Apple's changes to ad tracking on top of that Meta's reality labs unit had an operating loss of 3.7 billion dollars and they expect the loss to grow even more next year and I believe year to date this is their their whole metaverse concept it is now it's topped nine billion dollars so far today I want to say it's around 9.3 so that's mm -hmm. a pretty large loss There's, they're putting a big bet on this metaverse. I think it is important for an investor to have a very clear understanding of what the future holds again for that metaverse there is if you're going to buy the business, there's a lot hinging on it. But be careful as well of earnings estimates for December 2023 as they were at $9.80. I believe in the future weeks, these estimates will fall quite dramatically. And it's funny you said it. It's a growth stock. It's not a growth stock anymore. No. It's actually... A value stock value based stock. off the valuations. Yeah, and, and and we looked at it, a couple of things too that, that I've been thinking about it is that what generally happened, they had a great business model, a great advertising model. And yes, Apple with their change kind of hurt them somewhat. But what generally happens when you get to that level, new managers will come in and take it and they'll kind of ride the wave and kind of grow the business slowly. Mark Zuckerberg is still there. He is not a good manager to keep things going. He wants to always have that big hit via the meta universe. Yeah. He wants that to do well. So he's spending billions and billions of dollars. And I know what they spent this year is not as much as they're saying they're gonna spend next year on it. Now, he could be right. I don't think he is because I just don't see it. But if he's right, he's gonna do very well. The big question is, what if he's wrong? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what if he's wrong is they still have Facebook and Instagram, which I don't think is going anywhere. I think the ad revenue is going to decline here just with everything else that's yep. struggling with the advertising. But I, I just, I think we know there's issues with TikTok. I think that Instagram and Facebook are still going to be the dominant players there. We'll see what Elon Musk does with Twitter, but social media is still going to be around for, for I think, many, many years to come here. Um, so I, I think the thing is, what if it goes wrong? That's a very profitable business for them. They're still making money. Oh, yeah. So it's not like they're going to go out of business, which is why it kind of entices me a little bit, mm -hmm. because it looks like they're starting to factor in now the cost of their investments in the metaverse. And if he's right, well, you could actually get a big winner there. If he's wrong, I still think the stock could do okay as long as advertising recovers for the business. Yeah, and, and, that, and again, we can't count them out because, uh, again, talk about TikTok, uh, they have what, Reels, I think that's yeah. what they call. Well, so, in Instagram has Reels. Reels, yeah. Okay. I thought I saw that on Facebook too. 
No. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't really go on Facebook that much anymore. Yeah. But. I know we have a, well, we had a social media person looking for another one. But yeah. anyways, um, uh, th- these reels are what I guess compete with TikTok. The other thing with TikTok is it came out this past week that there is concerns that China, where TikTok is, is getting all this data from American citizens. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Do we really want that to happen? So perhaps there could be something coming out to prevent TikTok from being here. If that happens, gosh, Facebook would probably zoom, uh, well, zoom yeah. up. <laughs> not zoom the other company, but, 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 but go up dramatically. So, uh, the fundamentals look pretty good. And also Facebook, I believe has zero debt. I, I don't think they have much. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. any. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think there's, there's some positives to it. And, and one thing that I said, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think would really help the stock is if Zuckerberg was ousted and they brought yeah. in a new CEO. I, I think that would provide a lot of excitement because they wouldn't be spending as much on the metaverse anymore just from a purely profitability standpoint. I think the stock would rally off that news. But, you know, I believe Zuckerberg, this is one thing that scares me about buying the stock as well as I believe Zuckerberg has those super he voting does. shares yep. that there's no way he could ever be removed as CEO. Right. And, and what it would probably take is that the, the meta doesn't work out. He would probably, okay, I'm, I'm done. Or if it works out, then obviously it, it would do well and he, he would stay around. So it's just something that you, I, I mean, we, we become interested into it, not telling people to run out and buy it, but we do recognize now that's a value company. I think it trades at, I think when I say eight, 10 times forward earnings, it's yeah. not very much. So that that's when we get excited. But now what's going to happen in the future as they talk, that's part two of it. Will the meta just kind of destroy it? And uh, and I and I did read too, I guess I had come up with a new, what's called Oculus? Oculus, yeah. Oculus, uh, I guess a new division of that. I don't know anybody that even has it any longer. Do you? I mean, I get sick with that stuff. So <laughs> if they have it, don't give it to me. I just can't try it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have many friends or anything that, that uses it. Maybe we'll get some, uh, some more, uh, replies on our website or via email of people yeah. that, uh, have some Oculus headsets and what they think about them. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in, in a second because we're talking about sketches. I know there, but I, I do want to finish this last one here about uh, the Microsoft workers because I, I recently read an, an interesting survey from Microsoft, which I think is is true for the current work environment. A survey of 20,000 people at Microsoft found 87% of the employees said they were productive at work. But unfortunately, when asking the leaders at Microsoft, only 12% say they have confidence that workers are being productive. Now, there appears to be a big difference in what employees think they are doing and what employers believe they are doing. I feel perhaps maybe it's always been that way over the last hundred years or so, but maybe now employees are more vocal since the job market is so strong. And also, too, we have social media, which gives everybody a voice for either right or wrong. <laughs> They're out there. <laughs> and they also feel confident that they could get another job somewhere else if they were to lose their current one. Yeah, and, and it's just something that uh, things are changing again. We were on Dr. Phil's show a few weeks ago talking about quiet quitting and so forth. Um, and it's just something that there is a disparity. I think it is more, no, not. You, you got social media where people can really voice their opinions. We have, I can't even count the number of news stations that you can get on cable now. Uh, you got streaming news. I mean, you got so much information out there. So people can be a lot more vocal. I feel this what has always been the case but it seems to be a, a big disconnect now. And whenever you have a strong job market, of course the employee is gonna feel more uh, in, in, in tune and more, more like, yes, we're doing a great job because they don't have to worry about losing their job. So it's it, it just something I wanted to point out because it, it, it you know, 
Sign of the times. Yeah, and the, the thing about social media is funny. We just talk about Meta, Facebook, Instagram, obviously. But the thing that scares me about that particular environment is it, is it really pigeonholes people into kind of their own beliefs. It, it creates almost a, a digital bubble, I'm going to call it, of, of what you believe in. And great example is we, we did a post a, a few months ago, and we had a couple comments that were like-minded on one page, and then we had a couple comments that were of the opposing venue or view, but on a different page. And the commentary that was building on those two separate pages was just unbelievable to see the discrepancies because they were going into their own networks and building <laughs> that kind of digital bubble that I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of scary because you look at things and on your social media page and you say, yeah, how can anybody else think that way? Well, because you're seeing many times what yep. you like to see rather than what's actually out there, which can be kind of terrifying. Yeah. Are right, we going to take uh, calls in a few minutes here? Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As always, get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, form of opinion about what you want to talk about. Again, 833-288-0973. If you like the topics we talk about here on the radio show, there are more in our newsletter. Just go to our newsletter. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. Other topics that are on that newsletter talk about the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Uh, money market fund fees. This is something that has changed. You, you want to find out about that. Um, also, the hot I-bonds. Well, things are changing there. People say, oh, these are great. I get a 9, what is it, 9.8% yield. Uh, you got to check it out for that. We also talk about work productivity, 401ks. So check out the newsletter. You can sign up. It is free. It goes out every Friday afternoon. Website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. It's right in the middle of the page uh, on the top where it says newsletter. Click on that. You can sign up for it there. And I, I did, I know we didn't plan to talk about it, but we brought up the Microsoft survey about the productivity. And it's funny, we actually had the productivity report come out. Yes. And I, I thought it was so interesting because it, it, there's some big concerns there. I mean, we actually had for the third quarter in a row now, declining year over year productivity. Yep. And the concerning part is that is the first time that's occurred since 1982. Wow, that's like 40 years. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time. So, you know, productivity is not skyrocketing. It's actually getting hurt. And it, what productivity looks at is, you know, how much input is it taking to produce output? So you could have output going up, but if it's taking a lot more input to get there, it's not as efficient. It's not as productive. Right. So you want to see, you know, input growing or hours worked growing, but that it output should be growing more. That's cost for efficiency. Now, we talked in the office this week about some things that can improve that. <laughs> One being, you know, technology that yeah. that can make people more productive naturally. Uh, also, too, just getting people to work harder. And then lastly was the regulatory environment. Yes, yes, because I, and again, as a business owner, I spend, and again, we'll talk about this. I went to the bank. I'm changing banks, going to uh, JP Morgan, well, going to Chase Bank, yeah. um, and it took to set up my business account, I think over an hour yeah. because of the questionnaires and the questions and this, and and uh, I, I can't even remember. Uh, the documentation, documentation we need to provide, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the um, money laundering, all this yeah. other stuff that comes up, like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I used to go in like be 15 minutes, but again, I haven't moved my checking account in, I think 15 years, but that's just one example as a business owner, what we have to go through. and. <laughs> And actually that's not true because actually we're looking at hiring an HR department company 
because of all the regulations on the HR side yeah. that we find out like, oh my gosh, we didn't know about that. We didn't know about that. So there's so many rules and regulations as a business owner that you have to go through. I, I can't tell you a percentage of my time spent on that, but even 10% is like way too much because of the fact that that's 10% you could be doing to produce more. Yeah, so, and I, I do want to say, I, I think Chase did a great job opening. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. Wasn't there it's hard fault. to say Chase because you know my name's Chase, but Chase Bank did a great job doing it, but they had to go through all those questions and they were efficient in going through the questions, but they got to go through them and they have to ask, well, where's your policy for this? Where's your policy for, I'm like, Gosh, I forgot we had that many policies. You know? <laughs> and uh, one problem we do have with using Chase Bank is I'm getting emails like, what does Chase want now? Yeah. And I'm getting confused between you and the Chase Bank. So I got to look at it closely. Uh, I, I do want to talk about uh, last uh, week we talked about Skechers shoes. And we said, well, who wears those? Well, you, you know, we, we kind of looked at them. Uh, we, we got some uh, a couple of emails here. I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, FYI, Skechers has an outlet center, Carlsbad Outlet Center. They also have been carried in famous footwear for over 20 years. Um, also, too, uh, Steve says, I have a pair of Skechers, casual dress work shoes. I am very happy, which is underlined oh, with them. And then also, too, Vicky says, uh, Skechers are great. I buy them on Amazon. So um, we have not gone up. I, I think I, I, I kind of like going to the Carlsbad Outlet Center. It's kind of nice up there. So maybe I'll go up there and maybe you know, get a pair. And I think you said you went to, out to dinner last night. The waitress was wearing them, but you didn't ask her if she liked them. Yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't think about it. I Well, I thought about it in my head. I was like, oh, Skechers, that's kind of funny. We were thinking about it uh, on the show this past week, but I didn't think to ask her if she liked them or not. Yeah, and, and actually the stock, uh, I, I don't know what it was last week, but it's still uh, closed on Friday at 36.52, well off the high at 49.89. So we've not had a chance to look at it yet, but it just, it seems to be a popular shoe company. So. Yeah, I mean, something different, and, you know, I, I think, obviously, they've been around for quite a while, and I, I know their balance sheet, when we looked at it in the past, was very, very strong. It's always been it's always been one, honestly, that we've kind of, I'm going to say, kept in our back pocket, so yep. to speak, and looked at saying, yeah, maybe. We kept it in our back pocket, but didn't put it on our feet. Yeah. <laughs> so, I am disappointed they don't pay a dividend, though. I thought uh, that yeah. type of company would pay a dividend, and they do not pay a dividend. I was going to say, too, I mean, kind of back to Meta and, and Alphabet, and those, I, I'm very curious, because... I, these big growth companies, the the whole idea again about returning capital shareholders via dividends and stock buybacks is, is generally a value company type concept. The reason for that is because you can't find places to invest your money any longer to get like a, a 20% return on earnings, sales, you know, growing those types of metrics. So you say, well, we'll just return it to shareholders. I mean, I'm kind of shocked that Alphabet hasn't really done that just yet. I don't, Meta could be on the cusp of it, but now they think that they have the metaverse and they think that's going to be big. So I think they're going to be putting their capital into that. So I don't think they'll be returning money in the form of a dividend just yet. But, you know, it, it could be around the corner for those big tech companies. Yeah. I, I know Apple and, and Microsoft both do, but their dividends are both so small because the stock's overpriced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if that price comes down like Meta, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a nice uh, thing. I still hate saying men. I still like yeah. Facebook. Yeah. So, all right. I look over. Ah, no one called in. Phone lines are all open. 833-288-0973. You got a stock that you want to talk about or investment question. Uh, that's what we're here for. Discuss with you what you want to talk about. 833-288-0973. Again, 833 288 
888-900-0973. Well, Chase, very excited about uh, November 17th. That's a workshop coming up. We love doing the workshops. It's been very busy. It will be in Scripps Ranch at uh, 6 o'clock in the evening. Uh, You can learn why we are value investors, the key to successful long-term investing, and our investment philosophy, uh, our investment philosophy, exactly how we invest and manage our money at Wilson Asset Management. Now, it is free. What you need to do is sign up to be there. Seating is limited. It'll be at our new office in Scripps Ranch, which we're excited about. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Did we go over the fundamentals of Sketcher last week? Uh, gosh, I don't remember. Did somebody call in about it? I think they... Uh, did we, uh, yeah, I think somebody called in about Skechers, and that's why we looked at it. Okay, yeah, because it's just something that uh, I hadn't pulled up. But, you, you know, let's talk about something else here, because I, I do want to talk about real estate. I read something last night that, oh, real estate is not going to fall. Real estate is going to fall. Um, the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index fell 1.1% from July to August. Uh, annualized, that's a decline of over 13%. Now, if that sounds high, it is. It is the largest decline in 11 years. So, again, we've seen real estate just shoot up. And yep. it, it's just, quite frankly, it's just not sustainable. I mean, yep. it, it just, it. you have to have incomes there mm-hmm. to be able to afford properties. You have to have the rent to justify the value of that property. And right now, with rising interest rates, People cannot afford these prices. It, you can't have the the mortgage rate go from sub three percent in a matter of just a year and a half, two years or so. Now it's over seven percent, and you know there's some debate based off points and you know different factors when you look at the thirty year fix of what people are actually paying. But I'm just going to use above seven percent. And home prices are level, and we already had an affordability crisis beforehand. Right. There's just no way that you can sustain itself. And one of two things is going to have to happen here. Interest rates are going to have to fall back down or home prices are going to have to decline so people can afford them again. I don't think interest rates are going to fall below 3%. I don't think that's even going to happen maybe in your lifetime that we're going to see sub 3%. Uh, I plan on living another 30, 40 years. I know. So. I think so. If you look, I think we could see something around 4 or 5%, yeah. but sub 3%. That was a crazy time. That was a crazy time. It's kind of the opposite where in the 70s, where I think it was 18, 19% people were getting on their mortgage rates. I think mortgage rates were more like 13, 14. 19 was the the treasury. treasury. But I don't think we're going to see that. I think that was going to, I think you saw an extreme high then and I think an extreme low. And I think some people are making a mistake thinking that interest rates are going to fall back to below 3%. And I I just don't see that happening. And and I don't believe they were at that level, I want to say back in the 40s. I think in the 50s, it was around 3 to 4. And I think it was prior to that. You know, maybe maybe you got that. But uh, you're right. I don't think we'll see a a mortgage at under 3% at, at any time. You're right. Maybe my lifetime, we'll, we'll say 50 more years. 50? Right. Yeah. That was that was 72 years ago. Yeah, I know. I'm not even be in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it could be. And, and what's what's kind of happening, you know, again, we're not just talking about San Diego, we're talking about nationwide, um, is that what's, what seems to be happening is that it's shifting over from a seller's market to a buyer's market, but buyers aren't quite ready yet or they're not qualified yet. I saw a number last night I was reading that uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it, it what was it like 27 million people 
uh, I believe it was a number, have been knocked out of the mortgage market because they can't afford a mortgage now of over $400,000. So it, it, we're starting to see that happen. So if you have less buyers, again, always come back to that simple economic supply demand. If the, the demand is low because people can't afford it, the supply will actually increase, which will bring down prices. And eventually, now, one thing I did read also too is that um, they said a lot of people won't sell their home yeah. now because they got a mortgage of 2.9%, yeah. which I think is okay for a while, but eventually you're gonna say, gosh, we want a bigger home, we want a nicer home, we wanna move here, we wanna do this. We wanna so, downsize even. Yeah, downsize, yeah. So so that will change eventually. And I don't know how many people got a sub 3% mortgage, I think it was people that probably got a three and a half to maybe three, three and a point, quarter. Three, yeah, three and a quarter. And they might, eh, you know, might find something else. And again, we've talked before, we did the numbers where you looked at by waiting what the number would be uh, for the house to fall to make it a, a break even on a lower mortgage rate with a higher price of the home versus a home falls. Now you have a 6% mortgage. What a, that, that could be the break even on the mortgage payment. Yeah, and I, I think that is the big question in the real estate market. Is the supply side yeah and and right now is there going to be a, a breaking point so to speak where people are saying yeah we're going to sell our home because i worry there's a well i'll just hold it you know if the real estate market starts to fall it's like well, i'm just not going to sell my house so then there's still the, the supply crunch that we're seeing right now where there's just not enough homes on the market so that's the the interesting imbalance i think is you know you brought up the, the low interest rate you know, again, perhaps following home prices, where are the additional supply of homes going to come from? I know home builders have kind of slowed down yeah. in terms <clears throat> of their building as well. We need more homes out there on the market, and that's what could cause prices to fall even further. Yeah, yeah. So, I, but it, I'll take time. It's I got to have next week. And I, and, I, and I think this is just my opinion based on my knowledge and what I see going forward. I believe 2024 may be a good time to buy a home. So I, I've talked to other people like, oh, I want to buy a home. Eh, just going to be patient a little bit. You know, I, I, I just don't see, uh, I, I think more things will happen to get better prices down the road for, for patient people. I don't think you're going to miss out on anything. No, no, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't see it uh, for years going up by any big amount. And, and worst case scenario, yeah, it's the same in 2024. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of misread the, the 2020 housing market. Mm -hmm. I, I did, but also I didn't see interest rates falling that low. No. So that fueled prices much, much higher in the real estate market. So if you bought a home back in 2020, I guess congratulations because you got a low <laughs> interest rate and <laughs> you, you got a, a good price on the home. But I, I just, I don't think you're going to see anything like we saw in the latter half of yeah. 2020 and 2021 where, and even this year where housing prices are still climbing year over year, you know. Uh, low double digits. Yeah, and, and that's why I've been doing this for well over 40 years now, and it's still exciting because you're not right all the time. I mean, th things keep changing, so it's I, I, I just love doing this. Love I still love been doing the radio show for over 30 years. Still love coming on Saturday morning to uh, talk about investments, but no one wants to give us a call today. That's kind of kind of surprising. No no phone calls yet. 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Here to answer your questions on investing. Talk about a stock that you have that you want to see if it's you know worthwhile investment. We'll look at it. We'll give you our opinion based on the fundamentals. Right now, I see uh, Harrison Johnson there. So let's uh, talk to Harrison Johnson, our financial planner from Wilson Asset Management. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I see today we're talking about traditional and Roth IRA income limits. Are they changing? 
Um, they will be changing, but that's not the point um, I wanted to make. So um, what I want to talk about today, uh, most people know that the contribution limit for IRAs and Roth IRAs is $6,000 a year. Um, next year, it is going to go up to $6,500. And then if you're over 50, um, this year it's 7000 and that's also going to go up next year as well. But in order to contribute, you need earned income through wages or self-employment income. But your ability to contribute to these accounts is based on your AGI or your, your modified adjusted gross income. So on the traditional side, if you are single, your modified adjusted gross income needs to be below $68,000 a year in order to get a deduction for contributing to a traditional IRA. And then it's fully phased out by $78,000. Um, if you file jointly, so if you're married, that income limit is between 109 and 129,000. So if your income is above that, you can still contribute to these accounts. You're just not going to get the tax deduction for it, uh, which is one of the main benefits of having it. On the Roth side, if you are single, the income limit is between 129 and 144,000. So if your income is above that, you cannot contribute outright to a Roth period. And if you file a joint tax return, it's uh, 204 to 214,000 is the income limit. So the, the point I want to make here is I'm sure there are people listening right now who have been contributing to either traditional or Roth IRAs all year long, whether it's $500 a month or whatever to max it out. And it turns out that they have extra income that they maybe weren't expecting because they got a bonus or a raise or there were some capital gains or whatever. And now their AGI is too high, but meanwhile, they've been making these contributions all year long. So if that happens to you, um, you're going to need to withdraw the excess contributions before you file your taxes, or you're going to have a 6% penalty on whatever that excess is. In addition to that, any earnings that are subject to those contributions also need to be withdrawn. And if there are earnings, those earnings need to be reportable as ordinary income, plus if you're under 59 and a half, there's an additional 10% um, penalty on the federal side and a 2.5% penalty on the state side. And part of the problem that comes in is if you are making contributions every month or every week or whatever where there's a lot of individual contributions, each of those contributions need to be backed out and recalculated to determine what the earnings and loss are associated with each contribution so that you're withdrawing the right amount and you don't have excess contribution. And so it's kind of a, a hassle to deal with. But um, now that we're getting closer to the end of the year, I wanted to um, talk about this because, I, again, I, I'm sure there's people out there that have excess contributions in there and maybe not be aware of it. And you want to make sure that you remedy that um, before you file your taxes so you don't have extra penalties or taxes or things like that. And Harrison, is something that you kind of, uh, again, somebody comes to a financial plan, do you kind of see like warning signs to tell people like, be careful here because of the fact that you could come in a situation where you're gonna have to take out some of your contributions and you're gonna have to do this calculation. Do you see that when you talk about financial planning for people? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we look at is what people's incomes are to figure out where they are in the tax brackets and how that's gonna be changing. But, you know, if you are, in a certain level in the tax bracket or your income is within a certain range and you are also contributing to an IRA or Roth IRA, usually you'll know if you're close to those limits and then, hey, 
you know, if you get something like a bonus or, or some extra capital gains, that's going to push you above the limit. So why don't, the way I like to look at it is if we're close, well, let's hold off and then let's make those contributions, um, you know, right before before you file your taxes between January and April so we know exactly what your income is so that we know where to contribute and that we're not going to do too much so that we have to undo it because it's, in many cases, custodians will calculate it for you, but again, it's you have to, in some cases, file paperwork for each individual contribution to undo it, and it's just a mess. So, yeah, there are warning signs, but you have to know what you're looking at as far as the income, where you're contributing, um, how much, and that kind of thing. And this is why, again, you want a good financial planner that sees going forward as opposed to trying to correct things after they've happened. So, Harrison, thank you very much. I, uh, What's that? I was going to say, I, um, I, I met with somebody, um, and their income was high enough to be over the Roth limits, uh, you know, $400,000 or something like that. And they told me that they had been contributing to a Roth every year for like the past 10 years. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> each of those is excess, and each of those contributions have penalties. So, yeah, you want to make sure that uh, – you're fully aware of all the repercussions of the actions that you're taking. Yeah, I can imagine what their penalties are going to be. Yeah, I, I don't think the IRS <laughs> would be very forgiving. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Harrison, thanks very much for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner at Wilsey Asset Management, if you want to talk to him directly, you can call the office at 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. You can also send them an email at smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And before I go to Tim in uh, San Diego, I do want to talk uh, about the workshop coming up because I'll be here before you know it. It is going to be November 17th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. And again, if you're confused on everything that's going on, how to invest the money because you're just not sure what's going to happen. I tell people, oh, I think market's going down. Oh, I think market's going up. There's many different things to look at. It's just a great place, this workshop. It's just a great place to learn about the fundamentals of investing and the strategies we use to find good value investments, how to invest during a volatile market, and investing to build wealth and get to retirement. That's what we're talking about the workshop. November 17th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. It's free. Seating is limited. Go to our website to sign up, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Hope to see you there again on November 17th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. All right, uh, as said, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. I was wondering if you could look at uh, Credit Suisse. It's a Swiss bank. It's been beat up um, over a couple lawsuits, and it is relatively cheap from where it's been at over the last year and a half. So I was just wondering if it's through the storm or not. Okay. And do you hold that or looking to buy that? Uh, Looking to possibly buy it. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at Credit Suisse Group. Uh, Their symbol is CS. They are in the bank's diversified uh, industry. Uh, institutional ownership, very low, 3.6%. I know it's foreign, so this may be looking at the ADRs or something here. So got to check some of these numbers a little bit closer. Uh, we do have uh, numbers for September 30th already, so that's good to see. Uh, no P.E. ratio the last 12 months, so it tells me no earnings for, for the company versus 7.1 for the industry. Price of sales looks uh, good at 1 versus 2. Now, price to book value, and this is tangible book value, 0.3 versus 3.0. 
you're you're paying about 30 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company which can be a warning sign or it could be like wow what a great time to invest in this company so you got to do a lot of research to make sure that they're not going to go under uh, we do see price of cash flow is one versus 2.1 no earnings growth over the past year or past five years. Uh, we do see the sales growth is actually a negative down 37.7% over the last year when the industry is down 1%. Uh, they do pay a 2.4% dividend, uh, no payout ratio because no earnings. Uh, look at the balance sheets at the bank, so there's no current ratio. But debt equity is heavy, 4.2 versus one8 Net profit margin, a negative 73.7 versus a positive 29.6. Uh, return to equity is a negative 18.5. Uh, without looking deeper, this company I can tell there's a lot of negatives going on with it. I guess the question is, will things turn around? Chase, you see anything going forward that says maybe it'd be a good buy? Yeah, we'll start with the current price here. It's $4.24. 52-week high, $10.56, and the low, $3.70. Year-to-date down 55.3%. Uh, still got a market cap of about $11.1 billion. Uh, I thought it would be bigger, though. I mean, obviously, with J.P. Morgan and a lot of those other big yeah. banks, it, it's nowhere near that. But if you go out to December 2023, I do see, unfortunately, there's just one analyst so that kind of scares me because he could be really high. She could be really low, high on, on what is going on with this business. I like to see at least probably around five analysts to give me some comfort there. But this one analyst does think that in 2023, the company can make $0.98 cents per share. That would give us a target sell price of $16.27. So, I mean, there is a lot of negativity surrounding Credit Suisse. We generally like to buy companies, as Warren Buffett says, when they're on the operating table. I think this company's on the operating <laughs> table, but uh, I'm just hoping they're not bleeding out, so to speak, and they don't recover. Yeah, they, they can't be table. saved. I say, I say the market cap's 11 billion, so I only have one analyst. I mean, it's not a huge company. I think it was much huger years ago. Uh, this would take a lot of reading, Tim, to really understand what's going on, why this business is so sick at this point in time. Yeah, and I, I'm just curious as well as, you know, I, I don't know if they're still held to the Fed stress test here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, I, I know that a lot of the, the financial companies here in the United States right now, they have so much liquidity, so much capital that I, I'm not concerned about those banks. I don't know enough about Credit Suisse. Are they okay? Are they going to be yeah. able to, to weather a recession, especially over in Europe? I know they're having difficulties with the energy crisis that, that's kind of been caused by, well, probably their own doing, but, you know, Russia and their reliability on, on that type of energy. And things are difficult over there in the UK and, and in, yeah. in Europe. Are they going to be able to get through that situation? That might also be pressuring the stock along with the, the lawsuits that you mentioned there, Tim. And, and Tim, sometimes it, it, you know, they might be able to turn things around if they are fixed in three to six months, if they can hold on. The problem is sometimes they can't hold on because you know things in Europe will get better and turn around. Will be three months, six months, 12 months. Perhaps Credit Suisse can't hold on long enough and they file bankruptcy and then you lose everything. So uh, I, I, I think there's other safer bank companies here in the U.S. that are probably on sale. Uh, this could be a big home run or you can lose everything on this one. So So be careful there. Thanks a lot. Sounds like I'm uh, at the craft table with this one. Exactly. Whether <laughs> so you exactly. want to roll the dice or not. <laughs> That's right. Let us know if you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right, Tim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go out to uh, or up to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? 
Hey guys, I'm in the. I'm going to pose a similar question. I threw out Bank of America (BAC), but I was really more interested in your uh, outlook for the financial sector in general. I'm already in a few. I'm not necessarily looking to buy or hold Bank of America, but give me your thoughts on that because I've. I know that with the interest rates, they're going to be bringing in more uh, re- uh, interest revenue but probably on a lot lower volume and for a while they weren't the big banks weren't giving out nice interest rates for savings account but i think that's catching up Mm -hmm. um i think you can start to see two to three percent on things under a year so i was just interested on your take on that yeah, the financial banking industry is very complex because you have the, the qualifications they have to meet to be in business, the testing and everything else that they do. They still have to make a profit. Uh, we talk about the net interest margin, the spread that they're going to make and so forth. So uh, you really got to look at each business to see what they're doing because we can't forget about that. Yeah, now that they don't have mortgages and many times they sell the mortgages, but also to where else they're making the money Well, from credit cards, car loans. Uh, financing, other things that, that they're doing, business loans, uh, you know, so there's many different things you can do. And that's why it's so important to look at each individual bank. And, and I always like looking at Bank of America. We don't hold in the portfolio, but it's one I always kind of look at. Chase used to hold it years ago. The first stocks I bought. That, that's right. So um, let's look at the numbers, kind of talk more about the banks as, as we go through here, Phil, because it just kind of helps us kind of guide uh, our thoughts here. Uh, coming again is Bank of America, symbol is BAC. Uh, the other thing to do with Bank of America, they own Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. which can also be a different factor for you. So that's what I mean. you got to look at, well, not just a bank, but how's Merrill Lynch doing the investment side? Uh, they're not as big as I think they used to be, but still, that's a management company. You want to see how they're doing. Uh, only 70% institutional-owned is a Bank of America. The P.E. ratio, 11.6, which is good, but the industry's at 7.1. Price of sales, 3.3 versus 2. Price of tangible book value, 1.7 versus 3. So that's a positive it's below the industry average. Uh, and for banks, you like to see what you're paying for the the book value of the company. Uh, price of cash flow is high, 41 versus 2.1. They have a peg ratio of 1.9 uh, versus 10. Now, their earnings over the last year are down 5.4%, along with the whole industry down 5.2. We do see sales for B of A are, are up 6.1%, but the industry is down one. So they're doing something right there. That's why I talk about the different uh, businesses they have within their within the entire bank. You get a 2.4% dividend yield, which is below the industry at 5.1. They only use a 26% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, again, a bank. Uh, debt to equity is 1.1 versus 1.8, no current ratio. Net profit margin, 29.6. That's exactly the same as the industry. And return to equity, 9.6 versus 10.7. So, I mean, it looks pretty good. Chase, let's talk about going forward with Bank of America. Yeah, so current price here for Bank of America, $36.79, 52-week high, $50.11, and 52-week low, well, it's $29.31. I see year-to-date here down 15.9%. Uh, and just kind of for comparison purposes, when we're talking Credit Suisse, I think I said the market cap was around $11 billion. Yep. Bank of America is $295 billion. billion. So yep. much, much bigger. Uh, but going forward for Bank of America to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.72. I mean, it gives us a target sell price of $61.75. So I I, I think the financials are still undervalued. I I think that people were kind of baking in, again, this recession, recession fears, and that was driving these financial companies lower. As we were saying, we just 
don't see a major recession on the horizon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think these companies can still lend money. And, and the other thing, too, that we've talked about before was there's still a lot of cash out there. Mm-hmm. Well, as that cash starts to dwindle, people then start to turn to different liquidity sources, which includes lending. So there could be higher margins or the, I think it's a funny word, but the NIM, the net interest margin. And you could still see, again, demand coming in from different sources, whether it be businesses, which, again, businesses had a lot of cash on hand as well. So you're going to see, we always talk about how debt shifts from the consumer to businesses to the government. We could see some more debt start to shift to the consumer and business side, which, quite frankly, would benefit these financial businesses. And and Phil, one thing you mentioned, I think you said you had three different banks in your portfolio. Percentage-wise, how much do the banks make up in your portfolio? Uh, I have a total of like 17, so those three probably make up 20 to 25%. Okay, and and seeing that at 20%, eh, you're kind of on the border. 25% be too high, I would kind of pare back. It depends what you have, I mean, because we do have Financial companies, sometimes insurance companies are kind of in that financial realm, so it depends what you're kind of looking at. Be, be careful about having too much in them because, in fact, obviously, if things don't go the way you, we expect them to go, uh, you'd be hurt having 25% of your portfolio, a quarter of it, uh, in financials. But I, I think the overall industry, it's a great time to be in that industry. I think there's some good things going forward. you got to be careful what you're investing into. Uh, you got to be careful of uh, bad debts coming up, a loan, loan loss reserve. That's the other thing, too. The loan loss reserves are increasing, which if things go the way we think they will, and I, and I will talk about next week, I'll talk about, I believe we'll talk about it, but the uh, M2 that you just talked about, Chase, yeah. I was surprised when I looked at the numbers last night what they are. They're still looking pretty good. I don't remember what they were. But um, so there, there's good things you got to watch on the banks. Uh, I would not want to be without at least probably 10 to 15 percent of my portfolio in the financials. But I don't think I want to be at 25 percent. Yeah, especially if it's, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan and Citibank. Right. If you got yeah. all of those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be over concentrated. Right. right. And there's <laughs> other financials you can do that could play off well of that. All right, Phil. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, uh, that opens up the phone line, 833-288-0973. Let's go up to San Marcos and speak with Daryl. Daryl, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? <clears throat> Hi, good morning. You can hear me okay? Yep, I'm here. You're fine. Thank you. I, uh, I'm a Viasat employee, and uh, President Biden was on our campus yesterday for a veterans event. Yes. And he spoke about chips. So I haven't. I listen to your show every Saturday on my way to school here at Cal State San Marcos. We have a fully employed MBA, mm-hmm. and I haven't heard you guys talk a lot about chips as far as manufacturing in the United States. Have you guys looked at what companies might be best investing? Because President Biden said that we're going to start developing that a lot more in the next coming years, so that we're not dependent on other countries. Uh, yeah, no, actually, we, we have talked about that. And, uh, uh, Daryl, if you don't get our newsletter, you probably want to sign up for the newsletter because I know we've talked about that uh, over different times as well in the newsletter. But it is something that we see is going to be the way to go. I know in the past, I think we got over the past few weeks probably some calls on some chip companies. But we do think it's a growing industry because not just because of having more manufacturing coming here, but just because – we see chips and more and more things to do more and more things. I mean, I remember before, like chips was just in computers. Now they're in cars, they're in refrigerators, they're in everything now. Yeah, and, and kind of the 
even answer your question more directly. I'm not going to tell you if they're good buys or, or, or sells at this point, right. but, but companies that I see benefiting from, you know, the CHIPS Act that President Biden was referring to was, you know, Intel, I think, is a big benefactor because they're really looking at getting into the manufacturing, the fabrication process to compete against the Taiwan semiconductors, compete against the Samsungs. We don't really have a good, strong U.S. company that does that. So Intel... They're building the factory there in Ohio. I know is the big one that uh, President Biden has talked about. So I think they're a benefactor. The other one too that I, I think could be uh, big benefactors are your applied materials and your LAM researchers that actually do the chip equipment. Yep. Because yep. you build out these manufacturing facilities, well, you need the equipment. <laughs> so uh, again, not I haven't broken down the numbers on uh, on those companies for you, but I think those businesses could benefit quite nicely from um, a, a more prevalent U.S. manufacturing presence. And also, too, Jason, when you talk about the equip, equipment manufacturers, not only that, they build the equipment, but also, too, equipment does break down. So they might have like a like a car dealership to where they have people come in for service. So you got that cash flow coming in afterwards as well. So that's another good way to look at it. So uh, one, one variable that does kind of concern me somewhat is the whole situation in Taiwan with, mm-hmm. with China. Could that destroy the chip sector? Could that make it better for us? That's why I think it's so important to have more manufacturing here because we are way too dependent on uh, right now uh, Taiwan. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, a great point. It is an area you want to look at. Uh, we have been looking at it. We have talked about it. Um, but especially you've they've find, been beaten up this year. Too. Yeah, yeah, and that's why a lot are on sale. But you got to be careful about the ones that maybe were down fifty percent that were way overpriced by fifty percent. Like uh, Nvidia. Oh, yeah, like Nvidia. <laughs> yeah, and and also too, what they do because Nvidia was also had I think a lot involved with um, with uh, uh, cryptocurrencies and gaming and gaming. And they talk about how gaming is changing to be more just like a streaming thing versus the the the, the consoles and everything else. So you, you got to understand what the business is doing. So you're one hundred percent right. A great time to look at the chip companies but you got to understand what those chip companies are doing does that help you out yeah thank you i i do remember you guys mentioning the chips are an issue but uh yeah you targeted exactly what i was looking for what companies to look at now to invest in you know to make some currency in the long run right exactly i really appreciate it and uh i learned a lot from you guys so thank you so much for having the show every saturday And, and i think you said you're in school at san marcos Yes, we're uh, we're doing the fully employed MBA, and uh, we're going to finish here on December seventeenth. Our cohort's done, but it's an eighteen month program, mm-hmm. and I, I fully recommend it to anyone that doesn't know a lot about finances or financial marketing. We've learned a lot of information and in a lot of different types of courses over the last several months. Well, and we have actually gone out and spoken to schools and MBA programs and so forth. So if you want uh, myself or Chase to come out to talk to the class, uh, talk to your professor, uh, we, we do that to try to help the schools out there a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we have a professor, uh, De Jesus. He's our marketing um, manager, and he's always looking for projects with the local companies. And uh, there's a lot of advertising we do, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have him give us a call. We'll, we'll see what we can do to help out. All righty? All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Daryl. Have a great run. Bye-bye. All right. I was going to say that opens up the phone line, but it does not because we're just about the end of the show. So I do want to remind you about the workshop coming up on uh, Thursday, November 17th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch at a new office. We're very excited about the new office, the way I have things laid out. We do think the screen's a little bit too high, but other than that, I think it's going to be uh, a great uh, a great venue for people to be at. Uh, and again, if you're just concerned about what's going on in the market... 
That's what we're doing it for. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. There's a closing bell. So thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And from our daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great week. Today. I did all that.